It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. today's podcast we're going to spend part of our time focusing on linebacker play uh, with one of the game's most experienced at that and he's he's known for coaching linebackers but did an outstanding job as a head football coach at Illinois, Edinburgh, uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania and uh, we're really excited to have him here and that's coach Lou Tepper. Coach it's great to have you here on the podcast. Keith, Keith it's great to be with you too and and uh, and I look forward, uh, even at 75 years of age, I look forward to uh, being around people uh, who love the game. And uh, in fact, I'm still involved with uh, um, two local high schools here and a junior college uh, here. I work with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I'm I'm on their practice fields um, uh, often. And uh, so it's a good combination. I, I get to. Uh, uh, talk about football and I get to talk about my faith at the same time. Yeah, it's it's fun when you get to that stage too where uh you know you you miss the competition of it but uh at the end of the day now you go out to the field, you do your thing, certainly you're invested in it and want to win all the time, but uh the pressure is off you as far as your name being in the headlines and <laughs> in the paper. Absolutely. I hear you. Well, Coach, uh, we're going to get into linebacker play here a little bit, which is going to be your topic at the Illinois High School Football Coaches Association Clinic. It's the first clinic of the offseason, of course, with everything going on here. It's a virtual clinic, December 8th through 12th, over 120 speakers, uh, yourself in, in including and in, in headlined by uh, Coach Mike Loxley of Maryland and Co- Pat, Coach Pat Fitzgerald of Northwestern. And I think we have 120 speakers in total there, so we're really excited about that and excited to have you there. Uh, but before we get into the linebacker play, uh, I know a lot about you here. Uh, having been uh, a high school coach in the area, you guys did recruit my high school. In fact, before we got going, I, I said, you know, the, the guy who would come in and talk to us, it was Mike Yersich, who now is at Texas as the offensive coordinator. Yes, I, I've, I've been blessed in, in the 48 years I've been blessed to have uh, – uh, a great group of linebackers. I, I had over uh, 20 NFL linebackers, and I actually had four who won the Butkus Award as the best linebacker in the country. And um, uh, but I also had a tremendous staff. And uh, Mike Yersich was my quarterback coach when I was at Edinburgh. Uh, Sean Payton 
was my quarterback coach at uh, the University of Illinois. And at, at Illinois, it was interesting because nearly all my coaches went on to uh, coach in the NFL and coach a long time. And, and uh, when I got fired after being there for nine, for nine years uh, at Illinois, I said, Hey, it, it had to be me because, because the staff I had was incredible. Um, <laughs> but uh, we loved our time at Illinois and, and of all in my 48 years, um, you know, for my family, uh, for my children, uh, champagne, uh, Champagne was uh, was their home, and all my kids um, went through high school there. Uh, my daughter actually went to school there, uh, went to college there, and so it's it's a wonderful place, and we have uh, we have fond memories of our time as uh, as Illini. Good. So prior to that that forty eight years, uh, you you played at Rutgers, and uh, somewhere along the line there came this idea to get into the coaching profession for you. When did that happen? Uh, you know, I, I actually have a, a small plaque on my wall. It's a handwritten letter that I wrote to my uh, then girlfriend, now wife. And uh, it, it's really interesting, Keith. I, my high school counselor told me that uh, he would send me to one of the state schools, IUP or Edinburgh or uh, what have you, if I wanted to be a coach. But if I wanted to be an engineer, then he would uh, permit me. Now, he, he had no power to do this, but I didn't know it. Uh, he would permit me to, uh, to entertain uh, the, the bigger schools. And, and, of course, Rutgers was one of those. Uh, Penn was one of those. Cornell um, if I went in engineering. So uh, I chose to go into engineering only because I, I could then go to Rutgers. And uh, I was there for a semester. I did well academically, and I took my transcript uh, back to my uh, counselor, and I said, hey, I've done my duty. Uh, I'm going into coaching. So I, I knew I wanted to be a coach from, from early on. Uh, while I was at Rutgers, I had uh, a coach by the name of Dewey King, who was my defensive coordinator. Dewey is still alive today, lives in Waukesha, Wisconsin. He's, I'm 75, he's 95. And um, no single man has influenced me more than Dewey King other than my father. And uh, Dewey uh, was a defensive coordinator and then later in life a head coach. I was the same. Uh, Dewey adopted two children. I did as well. Uh, Dewey wrote two books. I did as well. Uh, I mean, his influence on me was uh, incredible, uh, particularly in my faith. Uh, he actually lived, he lived the life of a Christian coach. He was hard-nosed. He was tough. Uh, and yet everybody loved him because he was fair. And, uh, uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's where I uh, got a lot of my inspiration. I, I wanted to be able to influence young people uh, the way Dewey King influenced me. Coach, as you got into your career and, and you know, you did have, as you mentioned, a lot of great influences, um, what really became part of your coaching philosophy? Because I think we always learn from those guys who are mentors, but uh, e eventually you got to be yourself and kind of take things that work for you. So for you, what was the, the coaching philosophy that really 
uh, helped you develop throughout your career? You know, as as a head coach for 16 years, I always stressed at my staff that uh, football was uh, was an influential tool, and that you could use it for harm. Uh, you can actually harm kids by using, uh, you know, just like a hammer. It can be used for good and bad. Um, but the 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 positives you can influence with with football, and we all know we've all we've all been there. Uh, and know how much we want to play the game. And because we want to play the game so much, we're willing to do the things the coaches tell us to do, whether it's academically or socially uh, or on the field. And uh, I remember, you may remember Bruce Smith. Bruce was my the first guy I had who was the first guy taken in the draft when I was at Virginia Tech. And uh, Bruce came back, and I, and I asked him about uh, – the difference between the NFL and, and college football. And he said, coach Tep, I used to sit on the edge of my seat and listen to every word that the Virginia tech defensive coaches told us. He said, he said, it was, it was so important to me to hear what you said and to adhere to that because I wanted to play and I wanted to be a great player. He said, the difference for me, and this is not for everyone, and he told me this, but the difference for me in the NFL is that my, my assistant coach sits on the edge of his seat and listens to me. Because if, if we get into a fight, he's leaving. I'm not. And, and Therein lies, and I, I don't want to paint a bad picture for the NFL at all. You know, Khalil Mack is one of my guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't want to paint a bad picture that Khalil Mack can, could make uh, his his assistant coach sit on the edge of the seat. I don't mean that at all. But there is a different dynamic between high school coaching, college coaching, as opposed to the NFL. And the NFL is business. High school and college coaching, I believe, as much as winning is as important, it's values. We, we, we've got to use this, this great gift that God has given us in college and high school football uh, to improve the lives of, of young people. And particularly today, you know, I'm working here at uh, a small single-A high school, Green County High School, and, you know, 71% of them don't have fathers in the home. And, uh, and so we're, we're one of the few males that can influence uh, these young people in their lives. And I, I, I've always stressed it with my staffs that, uh, yeah, is winning important? Sure, we don't keep our jobs if we don't win. Uh, but more importantly, and particularly when you're now at 75, you know, the wins and losses, uh, you know, while my record was for 16 years was really good. Uh, it pales in comparison to the to the texts and the calls and the emails uh, that I get from former players. Coach, uh, in uh, your career too, you you spent a lot of time as a, a defensive coordinator, and I know for the Alina, I think you were known for uh, your three four defense. Uh, was three four pretty much what you utilized throughout your career? 
No, it's it's not. A, <laughs> I became a heretic. I loved I loved the three four. I loved it. And, uh, you know, the things we did, we were one of the best defenses in the Big Ten um, in the nine years I was there. Uh, but as the game changed, um, it was probably around 2002. And uh, I had an assistant coach who is very well known across the country, Chris Kosh. Um, Chris was my defensive coordinator. He worked for Lou Holtz. Um, uh, he, he, uh, he was told when he went to, I think it was South Carolina with Lou after he left me, that Lou wanted him to look at what Mississippi State was doing, and they were in 3-3. And he wanted to combine the 3-3 and, uh, and our 3-4. And that's a very easy combination. Mm-hmm. And so he implored me um, to try that. We did in 2002. Uh, we put it in. In 2003, we used it only against 10 personnel, 11 personnel, and 20 personnel. And we were using it about 65% of the time. And in 2003, we finished first in the nation in total defense, first in rushing defense, and first in scoring defense of about 152 schools. And by 2000, um, I'm not sure of the exact exact year, but yes, I am. It was 2011, we went totally to the 3-3. I had been asked, to help coach the, um, well, to, to be the defensive coordinator for Team USA. And it's it's an every four-year um, project. It was only the second time ever. 2007 was the first year. Uh, we did it in 2011. We did win the gold medal, um, and we played in Austria. But the problem was we had a, essentially a spring practice. We had about 14 practices to get ready to play four games in Europe. And we had to choose, are we going to use our 3-4 package or our 3-3 package? We couldn't do both. Mm-hmm. And so my secondary coach, Steve Bernstein, who was with me for about 20 years, uh, Steve said, hey, I'd rather go with the 3-3 because the, the, the coverage schemes are pretty static. Uh, there's not a lot of adjustments to them. And so that's what we did. But the problem was we were playing Germany in I think our second game and Germany was like Wisconsin. They had 300 pound linemen and they were muscled up. They were 21 personnel, 22 personnel, 12 personnel. And so we adjusted for the first time, the three, three to those packages and uh, had great success. And I came out after that and and we never turned back. We, we stayed uh, in the three, three from that point on. And, and, uh, but I love both packages. Uh, you know, if, if Keith, if you were the head coach and you said, "Hey, Tep, I want to hire you, but I want you to use the old three-four, I got no problems with that. It's it's good. I would say though that the three-three against today's offense, which is so made up of uh, spread looks with ten personnel, eleven personnel, um, the three-three does a, does adjust to it more easily. Well, coach, I'm I'm interested in. Your, uh, you know, your your twelve and twenty one 
personnel adjustments. I know uh, with what we would do when I was at BW, uh, we faced a couple three three teams was a lot more of that twelve and twenty one type of personnel to sure. uh, to give them uh, you know a little bit of the problems. I mean, it is built and is very good against uh, some some spread offenses. Uh, so I think what I'm seeing in, in t- just today, I was uh, watching a clinic with Sonny Dykes, right? He's an air raid coach. And, you know, about halfway through his clinic, he starts talking about 12 and 21. And if you have a tight end and fullbacks, <laughs> a fullbacks, plural, in your offense, uh, it's an advantage for you today because defenses are kind of have been built to stop the spread offense. And I think you can remember, Coach, mm-hmm. like years ago, the, the first page of many defensive playbooks was just drawn up against, you know, a pro pro set I formation, right? 21 personnel. Oh. And that's everything based out of it where today I see a lot of playbooks basing out of uh, 10 personnel versus two by two. Absolutely. Two by two, three by one. That's and, and empty. You know, those are the looks, but you're, uh, but you're right. And, and the adjustments, you know, I was, um, in fact, they they had asked me, you know, whether I would speak on linebacker play or the three three, and I said, hey, it's up to you. And and uh, and so they asked me to speak on linebacker play, which I which I thoroughly enjoy. But I did. I, I've gone around to a lot of colleges. I went to Iowa State. Um, you know, Iowa State put in the three three, and they kind of revolutionized the the Big Twelve, and uh, they've had tremendous success. And I was out there for two days because they had no background in the 3-3, but but their head coach had just said, hey, here are your best 11 players. I don't care what you do, but I want these guys on the field. And there were only three linemen. And so um, that was their uh, that was their decision to go to the three, three and, and, and they brought me in and I'm not taking credit for what they're doing because they've done a great job. Um, But I got to speak to them. Um, you know, I did the same thing at, at, at VMI, at Delaware. Um, and so, uh, there are, I think there are some unique things, um, particularly against, uh, I don't know what you call it, but the divider offense, 11 personnel with the tight ends in the backfield, um, or at the line. I think the three, three, honestly, I think the three, three kills that package better than any scheme I've seen. Um, and then you you need to be able to adjust to the uh, because anybody who's any good in the three three against the um, the, the ten eleven twenty personnel the the first thing you're going to get is twenty one twenty two twelve and uh, and I, I feel comfortable with uh, with the adjustments to uh, to to each of those now. Yeah, that that's definitely it. And you know we were multiple at BW and, and really what we would do was uh it was kind of a pseudo 22 so I would line up we were pistol and I'd have the fullback next to the quarterback and you know tailbacks behind him uh we got a tight end on the line of scrimmage an inline tight end and then what we did we had kind of a he was a kid who the next year he started at tight end for us but he was he was one of those receivers who was growing out of being a receiver big you know, flanker type of guy was our Z mm-hmm. and the entire game, we either lined him up as like a tight slot away from the tight end, or we would motion him over to that position right there and essentially become 22. And, you know, we wanted to, 
make sure you were you know spreading out to defend those gaps so we were able to get some of the the combinations we wanted to be able to run the ball inside so when you look at facing let's just let's go with uh let's start with uh 12 personnel i know some people will look at okay we've got a couple tight ends uh we'll we'll use 12 personnel it's one of the first things i think people would do to a 3-4 as well is to get into a two tight formation uh 12 personnel and try to create more gaps for you to fill. So in the the uh three three, what kind of things are you gonna to do to adjust against that? Well, one of the things that I think um uh, even before you get there, one of the other things that happens with three three teams, uh muscling up is one uh is one way that people go. Uh and another thing is to go three by one. Right. Because a lot of a lot. And, and one of the different things, Keith, about the three-three, you know, if you if you go to the uh, if you go to a four-three team, uh, from a four-three team on the East Coast to a four-three team in the West Coast, there's there's so much similarity. Um, that's not true with three-three teams. Three-three teams are really different, and uh, they adjust differently. But a lot of three-three teams, I'd say maybe the majority of them when they get to a three by one, they slide their linebackers. So they become, uh, they, they lose their stacks. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And they, they actually become a 30 team. We did, we did not want to give up our stacks. I think one of the great things about the three, three is the, the, the nose and middle linebacker stack. Because now you, as an offensive coach, um, if you're gonna if you're gonna reach or scoop that, then you've got to cut down your split to reach to that nose guard. You can't have a three foot split and reach that and, and cut the nose guard off. No. you with me? Yep. And so we studied. We and it's amazing now, even at the highest levels, we would study teams, and very often you can tell the direction of the, of the, of the play by the split of the guard. Yeah. And so we always gave our nose guard the right that if he had a small split, that he could slant to the big split. All he had to do was tell the, the Mike backer, but regardless, when, whenever that, that stack is there and you scoop it, the nose guard is going to have the backside A and the mic is going to have the front side A. And now we would bring the mic. And again, each, each team is different. Some mics shuffle. We would bring the mic hard to the front side A to make sure that that center got off the nose guard in a hurry. If he didn't, we had a run through. Yep. And so that, that stack was really important to us. And we wanted to keep that stack even against three by ones. And we wanted to keep that stack even with 12. So if you just lined up in 12 personnel with two tight ends balanced and two wide receivers, then we would, we would have, we had, and that maybe this is going to take too long to go through, but we, we would flip our, personnel much like well exactly like we did in our three four because we came out of the three four to the three three and so in our three four 
we had a three technique and a rush linebacker who worked together. So at Illinois, it was Simeon Rice was the rush linebacker. And then we had a three technique. And all our three linebackers were all different. They, they weren't mirror. There are a lot of three threes. In fact, maybe most of them that are mirror linebackers. The two outside stack linebackers are exactly the same. The two uh, tackles or ends are exactly the same. That wasn't true for us. So we would have a rush linebacker, and his rule was simply this, because he lined up to a, what most people would call a four-eye. Right? And so if there were no tight end, he played what we called a hip a hip technique, and he would play about four by two outside the tackle, and he would key the offensive tackle. Mm -hmm. So that was his one. That was one technique. If there were a tight end there, he walked up on the line of scrimmage and played what we called a seven. Most people call a nine technique, but his 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 gifts were that he was an outstanding pass rusher. Simeon Rice. Khalil Mack, uh, go all the way back to um, to uh, Colorado. We had great – in fact, we had a guy who was a first-round draft choice, that rush backer. He, he was important to us because he was a great pass rusher, and he would dominate a tight end one-on-one. And so the two positions he played were either off the line to an open end or over a tight end to a tight end. Right? And then inside him was a – four technique so the so the four technique had the b gap uh the nose and the mic had the a gaps over on the other side we had a um a five technique who now if if the, if if it were one receiver over there let's say it were pro i he would stay in the five but if there were two receivers over there, like you have with two tight ends and two wideouts, then our other outside backer would come up and play over the tight end, and, and that end would go into a four technique. So we would have two four eyes. And you'll see that at Iowa State a lot. Yes. They play a lot of two, two four eyes. They do. Right? So, so now the stack, the, the, the stack stays inside, and the stack stack outside now we would play quarters and we would have free safety um over the c gap key in the tight end to the rush backer and we would have what we call the drop linebacker who is kind of the weak safety on the other side do the same thing over the tight end uh to the other linebacker so so if you lined up with two tight ends uh, we lined up with eight people, mm -hmm. um, and so we we never we never wanted to be outnumbered, um, but we also didn't want to didn't want to give up our stacks. Right. And so that's that's kind of the philosophy um, that we had, and there were a number of different coverages that we um, that we used. Uh, in fact, against against that set. Uh, two tight ends and two wide outs. You know, for for a lot of teams we played, you know, you could predict that's an inside zone, outside zone, 
bootleg mm-hmm. formation. And um, for a lot of teams, they would block everybody up and throw throw to the two wideouts. Um, you know, we faced that against Ohio University. They had a great offense, and they would just challenge you with these two great wideouts. And so what we did against them was rather than playing zone, we manned up the the free safety and the drop on the tight ends. They were over. We manned up the mic on the single back, and then we doubled. We doubled the single receivers. So, uh, we put two over number one on one side, and uh, uh, the outside linebacker over the tight end on pass would run and and man up on number uh, on number one to his side for slants, hitches, uh, and try to get under the outs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was, you know, that was a, you know, that was a, that was a coverage that we used against teams that uh, wanted to block everybody up and throw to the two wideouts. Yeah. Uh, I, I've got a lot of follow-up questions there, coach, as you've talked about some things and uh, I think things we're talking about. So um, first of all, the using the, uh, the personnel the way you did, right? Where most teams have the exact same guy. You guys had had different ones. Uh, now we ran, and this is when I coached at the high school level, uh, our defensive coordinator uh, at the time went and learned the stunt 4-3 from George Perlis at Michigan State. And so that was, uh, you know, the defense and I fact, really I was, used growing it, up <laughs> as a coach. Yeah, when when we, when I was there, uh, Michigan State, Illinois had to be the bloodiest defensive games uh, you would ever want to see. And normally the scores were 10 to 7, 14 to, to 10. I, I mean, uh, we were arguably the two best defenses in the league. So I had a lot of respect for what George did. Now, what, what we did, though, we started seeing more of that of the, the spread teams. And so our change up, our package for that became almost what you described. And, you know, personnel, what it was already kind of personnel, you know, the stunt four three, you don't have the same guys on either side. And so that was that was our answer. And we went into that and uh, more with, like you said, the the four and four eyes uh, within that package. Um but in in looking at that, there's a, a a couple things you said that you know you weren't going to unstack. I know when we would play a stack team, the first thing my offensive line coach wanted to figure out was could he unstack the stacks, right? For him, that was a key that he really didn't want to face those those stacks. And we were able to against some teams they would do that. Um, what's your recommendation for for that? Uh, I guess why would why do teams do that, and is is there an advantage in staying in it? Well, I think again, if you just did a a canvas of three three teams, I, I do believe that at least seventy percent would unstack to a three by one, and if you're in you know, if you're in a heavy pass down, uh, like when we got into our dime package and it was third and 12, I don't have an issue with that. Uh, but in a but in a rundown, um, uh, we we were really stubborn simply because 
we knew the stack and um, we did not want to give that up to the running game. And the, and the offensive line coaches that I worked with, they're the same way. You know, they, you know, we go through spring practice and we would go, go through, you know, one, one of the, uh, one of the funny things was um, because in spring practice, it's really competitive and you don't want to let on things. Um, but that was one of the first places that we started to work and let the nose guards make a check to the, uh, to the guard splits mm-hmm. out of the stack. And uh, uh, so the offensive line coach came to me and asked me, how are you doing this? And I said, hey, I am excited to tell you right after spring practice. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally the head coach, who was an offensive guy, uh, came to me and said, hey, Tep, <laughs> you've got to let us know. What's going on here? Do you, do you, you know, are, what are we doing that's tipping off? And you never think of the of a of a guard split. You know, you're thinking we're doing something with the backfield set or the formation or uh, what have you. And so we made a we just made a small cut up and said, hey, here's here's the deal. It's it, you know, even my dumb nose guard can figure this out. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we 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 like to do the same thing with our splits. I have to admit that you you would see those things and. Uh, you know, whether it was against even or odd teams that, uh, there definitely were some keys in what we were doing with our splits, but at the same time, you know, I don't know that, uh, you know, it, it takes some study, right. And then making sure your, your players can actually see it. That's a different thing too. Right. And I'll tell you, you know, you mentioned that, uh, one of the things, and it took me a few years, I, I didn't do this all 16 years of my career, but I, I would get a former offensive line coach or, or a former offensive uh, line player. And on Sundays when we came in, and of course, we're, you know, we're studying the opponent uh, heavily, uh, but his entire duty was to study the offensive line stances and splits of every player. Mm-hmm. And because, because he could spend an entire two days doing just that. I would say that every third week we came up with something that either by split or by stance uh, that gave away something for us. And I, I can rem- in fact, I can remember Khalil Mack was playing then and there was a, uh, I won't, I won't say the, his name or his team, but he was a, an NFL prospect. He was a six, six, uh, 320 pound left tackle. And we never, as we watch the film, as closely as we watch film, we don't have as much time to study stances as we do schemes. And what this guy found was that he was always in a two point stance. And when his feet were exactly parallel, it was probably 95% run. But when his left foot turned out, and it wasn't even at a 45-degree angle, it was just slight, that it was almost 100% pass. And so we trained all week because we found out about If coaches had found out, we probably wouldn't have found out until Thursday. 
But this guy identified it immediately for us. It was in the game plan immediately. And so when, when Khalil Mack was over this guy and his stance was, was such, he would just call out a, a, a name of an animal, cougar, you know, <laughs> uh, lion, uh-huh. meaning it's a run. And, and, and if, we were in a, if we happened to be in a pass call, he would get us to a run call. And by the same token, if his foot was out, right, he would point to the sky, which would tell the secondary, it's a pass, and then he would give us a pass rush. And the very first series, it was a rundown. I forget whether it was second down or whatever. Uh, Khalil calls it, he knows it's a pass on a rundown. And you've seen Khalil play, but he took his left hand, put it in the chest of a 6'6", 320-pound guy, picked him off the ground, and sacked the quarterback with him. Now, he was an absolute terror as a pass rusher, but he would not have been able to do that had he not had that that pre-snap key. Yes. And so uh, that's something I've recommended to head coaches ever, ever since. And I've, and I've often given them examples of what this guy would write up. Every player, he would write up their stances and, and uh, you know, things about them. But then every third week, there would be an alarm. We got something, you know. Right. And uh, it's, I, I love that recommendation, Coach. And, you know, obviously everybody maybe doesn't have that single guy they could dedicate to it. But I know – uh, what we would do when I was at BW, our offensive line coach, and then uh, our defensive coordinator was the defensive line coach. You know, those guys would, uh, as they were going over film, and especially as we got mid to late season, and you know they've studied the other side of, and we're seeing a different opponent. Uh, they'd always, you know, share that information. So if our offensive line coach saw some tip offs as he's watching, you know, uh, an offensive line and, and looking at protections and things like that, he'd make a note of it and pass it along. And, you know, so I think there's some ways you could do it, but those tip-offs, and I mean, not that, you know, Khalil Mack needs any kind of help, but wow, you give him that information, uh, he's unstoppable. Um, and, and, and the other thing, we were always able to find some just volunteer. We never paid any of these guys. Yeah. But they just loved to do it, and it was like a day and a half work. Right. And they would love to come in, you know, a guy like me. Hey, bring me in for a day and a half, and I get my football fix. And <laughs> if I can uh, if I can find something for you, but it's not You're a seven-day-a-week job. Yeah. Uh, but I think the key is can you get the information to your team soon enough that you can change your game plan with it? And if it's and if and if you have it done by by a you know a, in in college if you have it done by a, for a Tuesday practice you're good to go. Yeah. But if you don't have it until Thursday, now it becomes a recommendation. Uh, right. Hey, watch for this. Um, this may help you to know whether it's run or pass. But you you're not changing you're not changing a call right. uh, based on it. Right. Well, Coach, uh, I think we could go on forever here about schema. I'll have to have you back on to talk some more about that at, at another time. We did tell our listeners we would get into linebacker play a little bit here, and 
uh, at least give a little bit of an overview of, of what you're going to be speaking about at the Illinois High School Football Coaches Association Clinic. So, um, you know, just looking at your your linebackers, and we know you've you've played in in uh, both of those defenses, or I'm sorry, uh, coached in both of those defenses, the three four and the the four three. But for you, just starting with looking at the the player, the attributes that you want to see uh, in a linebacker, what are some of the key things you look for? Yeah, Keith. Before, and I've and I've written two books on this. Yeah. Uh, in 1997, it was complete linebacking. You may remember Kevin Hardy who was the second guy taken in the draft and played 10 years, and and uh, um, it became the best-selling linebacker book in history. And then they asked me to do a, a, a second edition um, uh, when I had Clo Mack, and I did that. And there. There, there were new things because there were new, there was new technology uh, between 1997 and 2014. Plus, I had transitioned to the 3-3, and there were chapters on the 3-3 there in linebacker play. Uh, so that came out in 2014. But really, I, I think the, the, the basic is regardless of scheme, there are four requirements of a linebacker if if a linebacker can do these four things it doesn't matter what scheme you're in he can be effective and if he can't do these four things he can't be effective and and number one and the most misunderstood by far it it, it it's incredible to me is taking on a blocker um so i have an entire chapter on taking on a blocker, and I will speak in great detail about, uh, we call it hit and shed, about taking on a blocker. Second is pursuit, uh, getting from the blocker to the ball carrier. Third is tackling. And then the fourth is coverage skills. And so those four, if you can do those four again, uh, you can be effective, and the and the and where I differ from so many is that three of them, pursuit, tackling, and coverage skills, have very little to do with size. Mm-hmm. You, you you could be you could be a five ten, one hundred and seventy pound high school linebacker, and you can pursue, you can tackle. And you can have coverage skills. Um, and we make a mistake, I believe, in feeling that we got to have big guys because of hit and shed, taking on blockers. Right. And and this is where I spend the most time teaching. It's where I spend the most time instructing coaches that that the hit and shed has much more to do with the feet then it has to do with size. And, um, and this is where I demonstrate this, um, you know, to, to uh, you know, I've had as big as 400 pound guys and, and I'm 180 uh, that I have turned like a top uh, because of the hit and shed. And so I, I believe that movement is the, is the key. Uh, I played largely with undersized linebackers um, of of the 20 plus NFL linebackers I had, most of them were very much undersized when they went 
uh, into the NFL. You know, even Khalil Mack, I, I mean, he's huge now, uh, but he was not that way when, uh, you know, he, he was recruited at 210 pounds and, and he was not that size when he came to us. The important things was uh, could he uh, could he pursue, could he tackle, did he have coverage skills? And then my job was not only to teach those three things, but to, to teach uh, the hit and shed. Uh, now, in terms of identifying linebackers, you know, if if you just said, "Hey, here are here are 20, 20 athletes on my team," uh, how do I test to find the linebacker? Um, there are four things I would test for. One, I would test the forty-yard dash. Not that the forty-yard dash is um, the end all by any means, but it is something that we all understand. And it's important for the next test. So I would test somebody in their 40 time. And then the next, I would test in the pro agility. And when we started this, the, it wasn't called the pro agility back when, when I began this. This was, we called this the jingle jangle. In fact, in the first book, it's called the jingle jangle. In the second book, it's called the pro agility. Uh, but essentially what we do is we would take the 40-yard dash time, and subtract from it the shuttle time or the pro agility time. And if there were a 0.5 uh, or better, then that guy had the, the kind of change of direction to be a linebacker. And I can give you tons of examples, but uh, one of the greatest I, I have, Barry Remington, at the University of Colorado, and um, Barry was an was an all. It was back then in the Big Eight. Barry was an all Big Eight linebacker. He was about six four, maybe the biggest linebacker I'd ever had uh, at that time. And Barry was six four, probably two twenty five, and he went to the to the NFL Combine, and he ran with the forty linebackers who were there. He ran the slowest time in the 40. He ran a 5.1 40-yard dash. And then they ran him in the pro agility. And of the 40, he was the third fastest. He ran, a, at that time, he ran a 4.3. And so there were eight-tenths of a second difference between his, his 40 and his shuttle time. And his, his change of direction Despite his 40 time, his change of direction was incredible. And interestingly enough, he played with another guy who was a 100-meter champ in California, and he played linebacker. And his 40-yard time was way faster than Barry's. His shuttle time was worse. And the difference between his 40 and his shuttle was two tenths. And he was just more mechanical. Mm -hmm. He was fast. He was a track guy, but he was just more mechanical. So the 40-yard dash and the shuttle time uh, are two that would run. The other is is um, the power clean or hang clean. And, and of all the lifts, this took me a little while, uh, Keith, but my first four NFL players – uh, came from when I was at Women Mary. And 
I had all the testing of all the things they did. And the one thing that they were best in uh, was the power clean. And so I started to put together, you know what? The power clean is the hip roll. The power, power clean, when you get to the hit and shed, because these were all undersized guys, when you get to the hit and shed, it's setting a base, and then it's exploding with your hips. And so the power clean became a very important lift uh, for us because power is meaningless unless you can apply it. And so the power that you either have naturally or that you gain through the weight room, if you now can set your base so that you can apply the power, then you're powerful. If you have power, but you can't apply it, you don't have any power. You can be the greatest power cleaner in America, but if you can't apply it, it does you no good. And I have a career of undersized guys who can apply their power. And then the, the fourth, um, which is very important to me, was, was body fat. And the, I guess the, the muddy water in body fat is through the years, there have been so many different ways of testing it um, that, uh, you know, we used to, when we first began, we did it with skin calipers. Um, but I, I can just tell you that body fat tells me generally if the body fat were between 10 and 15 percent, I knew that guy could play for 70 plays hard. If the body fat were close to 20% or over 20%, he was always going to let you down. Um, he was not going to be able to play hard the entire game. And it, in, my, in fact, it's in my first and second book. I, I have a linebacker by the name of Derek Brownlow, who I love to death, and I talk to with some regularity. And Derek Brownlow, when I came, was a uh, sophomore, but he had started as a true freshman, as a special teams guy, and somewhat player, but he was 5'9", 248 pounds. And so he walks in, and of course, he's not anything like I like, I like to look at. And so one of my first conversations with him was, hey, here are the things you have to do to be a great linebacker, and the lean body is important. And he said, coach, you don't understand. This isn't the big eight. This is the Big Ten, and we're facing 300-pound guys, and I've got to be big to take these 300-pound guys on. So essentially, I did not convince him, but he got down to 224, and I don't think he liked me for it. <laughs> um, and Derek Brownlow was all Big Ten as a sophomore. Uh, he was – the player of the year in the Big Ten as a junior or senior, I forget which, and he finished second in the Butkus Award. He was drafted at 5'9", 224. He was drafted in the fifth round 
and he played six years in the NFL. And the time that he came to me, there, there was a ball that was thrown. I think it was a curl. And he took off all of our kids when the ball was thrown. You know, it's so easy for defensive linemen and linebackers to stand and watch it, right? And we forced them to turn and sprint. And he turned and sprinted. The ball was tipped in the air. And he spread out and intercepted the ball uh, downfield about 15 yards. And he came to the sideline and he said, Coach Step, I know what you mean now. You know, he was convinced. And, uh, you know, much the same happened with Khalil Mack. Khalil, uh, while he was never overweight, um, it, it just wasn't in his uh, chemistry to, to rush the passer and turn and run. You know, I mean, you do that and you make a play like once out of every, every 20 plays. Well, what's the, what's the use for it? And uh, so it was not second nature to him, nor is it to most players. Um, but we forced it on them and we were playing Pittsburgh and they completed a screen pass on the other side from where the side he was rushing and he turned and sprinted. He ran 42 yards down the field, tackled him and they ended up kicking a field goal rather than what would have been a, a clear touchdown. And, uh, and, and I think that was the light bulb moment for him that he knew um, you know, this, this is going to make me a better player. So, but those would be the four things, I, you know, I would test them in a 40 yard dash. I would compare it to their shuttle time to see if, if they had the, the COD that we'd like to have. Uh, I would test them in the power clean to see if they had the power that we could apply and then test their body fat to see that, um, they could play hard for, for the, for the entire game. Coach, when you looked at the the other parts of linebackers and the makeup you'd want to see, the intangibles, right? Intangibles for any position. There's a certain thing we want out of our players. So what were the intangibles that you'd look for in a linebacker? Yeah, there, there's, um, you know, certainly enthusiasm uh, and leadership. It, you know, enthusiasm is, is contagious, and, and we used to use a, an old uh, Del Carnegie uh, quote that was act enthusiastic and you'll be enthusiastic. And, and it's amazing how true that is. I, I didn't believe it when I first did it, but if you get your guys together um, and just have them uh, clap their hands together, do something that, that acts enthusiastic, uh, they will, uh, they will become enthusiastic. And uh, that, that is uh, one of the most uh, important, important issues for them. Uh, but certainly um, their desire to be great, their, their intensity, uh, and uh, their desire to work hard. You know, if, if you love what you're doing and you have a passion for what you're doing, uh, you'll become much better. Uh, than than just your ability alone, but there's but there's no question that the um, the leadership role is is thrust on the linebackers um, much like they are on the quarterback and on offense. And uh, one of the things I dislike about the spread offense 
is the fact that you know it essentially took away the huddle yeah, um, right. from from the defense and that that was uh, uh that was a great that was a, that was a great movement by the offense because uh the huddle gave you a chance not only to communicate your your call but to communicate enthusiasm uh to to uh to get kids excited about uh, what was happening next and the you know when you when you practice to play Baylor uh, back in the day and and the play was every 14 seconds uh, I want to tell you man it's um, it, it, it you, you lose a lot of the on the field um, enthusiasm and communication now you can you can regain a good portion of that on the sideline but it's not it's not the same as it as it once was. Well, Coach, uh, I, I know there's a lot more you're going to share here, and uh, a lot will be on video as well in your uh, clinic with the, the Illinois high school coaches. Uh, we're definitely looking forward to that. Uh, and one question I would like to end with, Coach, is uh, I, I took it from the title of Bill Walsh's book. So, you know, in, in your 48 years and all the things you did, uh, what's the, the one thing that, that you did as a coach could be on or off the field that you felt really gave your team the winning edge? You know, I, I might bend this a little bit um, because I, I think other than the players and their responses and their development, uh, which was the most important thing, uh, and, and this is for today's day and age. I think it was the things we did at Illinois for racial harmony. And I, I'm so sad to see where we're headed in a country right now. But I can tell you this. Why Illinois was really unique is that we were almost exactly 50-50 white and black. And so when I came in, I, I saw... On one side of the the team room, mostly blacks. On one side of the team room, mostly whites. And I said, "We're this is not right. We're going to get this fixed." And so here were the things we did, and I would challenge coaches at every level to do the same because whether you're white or black, God has made each and every one of us in His image. Genesis one twenty seven. There is no one that is better than uh, than another. And if we give the time to each other to get to know each other, we will love each other. So here's what we did to stress that point. In all of our team meetings, we had a seating chart. And because we were 50-50, if you were black, you had a white guy most likely on either side of you. If you were white, you had a black guy on either side of you. So in all of our team meetings throughout the year for four years or five years, if you're going to speak to somebody, you're going to speak to somebody of a different race. Um, when I housed you, we housed interracially. And, you know, I, when I recruited kids, I told them, this is the way it is, men. If you do not want a room with somebody of the opposite race, don't come here. And so we, ra we, we housed our whites, white players with black players and vice versa. Um, when we ate, 
Um, you know, we had a dinner meal together uh, every night. You could eat with whomever you wanted to, but on Thursday night was unity night. And on Thursday night, you ate with somebody that you didn't know uh, very well. Um, you know, and, and I would dismiss the tables by the ones that were most integrated. And I, you know, that was, it became kind of fun. A guy would raise his hand and say, Hey coach, we got, we got two blacks, two whites, and we got a kicker. And uh, uh, so it was those kind of things that we did to bring our team together. And we, in, in fall camp, um, we, we read literature to them, uh, you know, uh, that was uh, uh, that pointed along those lines, so that racially we became closer. Uh, we would have, you know, black players speak, white players speak, and and our kids got to know each other, and we got to love each other, and we we actually won a Martin Luther King Award, and we we um, Paul Simon, if you remember Senator Simon, he actually uh, put put uh, a Wall Street Journal article in the Congressional Record. Uh, of the things that we, the things that we did, but to me that is using football as a tool. Did it have anything to do with winning? Yeah, I think it probably did. Uh, but we used it as a as a tool to make us better. And I know uh, we, in fact, uh, Scott Weaver, one of our quarterbacks, put on a couple months ago an interview we had done by Chris Fowler. They didn't have game day back then, but it was it was a national game at Ohio State, and actually ran a, a I don't know how long the segment was, whether it was five or ten minutes, on what we had done and what it meant to the players, and uh, he sent it out and just said, "Hey guys, you know, uh, we're, we're in we're in we're in times right now where uh, racial harmony is not going real well." And just remember the kind of things that we, you know, that we live for. And uh, I'd say that was maybe one of the most significant uh, things in my career. Coach, great stuff. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Definitely, I think, important for us at this time. And probably, you know, it always has been. But I think, you know, just with what we've been going through, I'm I'm glad you shared that story. Thank you. Coach, I appreciate your time. Really looking forward to seeing your clinic. Uh, for our coaches out there, again, that's uh, go to ihsfca.coachesclinic.com to uh, register for the clinic. It's an incredible lineup, including Coach Tepper. And Coach Tep, uh, we'd love to have you back sometime to talk more ball. We, we left a lot on the table today. We, we got to get back together and talk some ball again. All right. Sounds good, Keith. I appreciate what you do. Thank you again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Please, if you are enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes or Spotify and click five star for rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It really helps the podcast. Check out our new home for the Coaching Coordinator podcast. That's at coachandcoordinator.com. And follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.